and they're going to make creatives that say big discounts. Blast out retargeting. They're going to hit their email addresses. They're going to hit their add to carts. That's going to give you a wonderful ROAS on Facebook. That has nothing to do with business success. This week's edition of the DTC Deep Dive is brought to you by Motion. Are you still using spreadsheets to track your creative ad reporting? Well, if you are, you should try Motion instead. Motion bridges the gap with your creative team through visual and digestive reports so that they can make engaging content that actually converts. With one click, you can share insights with your team and add members to your workspace so they can easily deep dive into reports on their own. Motion makes it super easy to identify key drivers for performance and helps eliminate the guesswork in the creative production process. Join the 500 plus teams like Huel, The Ridge and Foxwell Digital in using Motion to improve their ad results. Say goodbye to creative fatigue and try Motion for yourself with a 14-day free trial at motionapp.com. Hello and welcome back to the D2C Deep Dive. It's good to have you. Today, we're joined by Charles from the Disruptor School. Charles is a Facebook expert. If you want advice on Facebook ads and how to do them properly and how to actually do them profitably, Charles is your guy. So I sat down with him and we had a conversation about why Facebook isn't dead and what you're doing wrong right now and what you should be doing to do it right. This is such a great episode. If you're running Facebook ads or maybe you've turned your Facebook ads off for one reason or another. Make sure you listen to this episode because you're really going to enjoy it. Charles, welcome to the D2C Deep Dive. It's really good to have you. And if you're watching this episode, you are essentially in a forest by the looks of it. Like, are we are we catching you while passing through the Amazon? Like, where are you at the moment? Yeah, uh, uh, it's more of a... Yeah, you know, I think the Amazon, I was going to say Sherwood, but... Um, yeah, no, no, uh, no Robin Hood here. We'll go with the Amazon. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. I stare at myself on camera several hours a day, so might as well make it a peaceful place yeah. uh, to enjoy. Charles, today we're going to be speaking about about Facebook. You uh, you yeah. fill my feed with with hot takes on Facebook and Facebook marketing. So I thought it was it was only a good idea to get you on here to speak about it because I am one of those people that does not believe Facebook is dead. I think we are, we like people that say that, oh, it, it angers me because it's not. It's it's still one of the most powerful tools that we have as, you know, content creators, as marketers, whatever you are listening. And so I think I want to start, first of all, by just introducing yourself, like your your journey to get to where you are now, to give people a bit of context to why you, sh- why, why you are, why I've brought you on to talk about Facebook. Why you? Sure. Uh, my career started about 10 years ago after the Hulk Hogan sex tape ruined my radio career. And I stopped being a touring uh, musician. I moved to California. Still play a lot. But got a job at an ad agency doing data entry for social growth hacking. Automated my entire job so that I was doing the work of like eight people. Watched the entire episode, uh, show The Wire in about two and a half months. Got fired from that job. Because uh, their client realized that we were doing illegitimate growth stuff. Started an agency, won the show The Pitch on the AMC for the very last episode. They canceled it as soon as they put me on the air. We nice. won the business of 1 800 Flowers, where they were trying to do this weird thing of spending 100 grand where you couldn't do anything on television or radio or print. It had to be all online um, and no search. It had to be all social, which was. 
2013 this bizarre concept. Mm. Um, and, and we did we did great there. Um, so we became the AOR for that. Since then, I moved to being supervisor at Omnicom, where I was managing seven-figure budgets, working with the teams from CBS, Nissan, Apple, Levi's, Activision. I was there when they brought in the Facebook Pixel, uh, which, by the way, was a bigger cataclysmic event than iOS 14 ever was. Um, so many agencies went out of business because they stopped. They didn't want to run conversion events. I uh, launched the first lead gen ad. I was in the shower and uh, it came to me that we might as well be able to run ads for Nissan, who was the client who I had an I had an alpha minimum for. Why not run this weird new ad that Facebook is trying to get anybody to use? Facebook would give gave me a million dollars to try it. Nissan said I had to get one a quarter. So I was like, why don't we just try to do test drives? And so we ended up. 50 bucks to get a lead. One out of two people bought a 2015 Nissan Sentra for 25000 So first lead gen ad was a 250X ROAS ad campaign at scale, which tells you how illegitimate ROAS is. Uh, mm. Then bounced around to other ad agencies, had the luxury of being a bad employee um, pretty much because I put the client I, – I didn't realize that the business model for ad agencies was – commission on ad spend. I thought it was do good work. So if I charged a million dollars or $10 million for a year and I could do the work in 30%, 40% of that budget, um, I would cost my entire department's annual salary and commissions in like a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I got yeah. fired from multiple agencies for doing that. But I also had the luxury of sitting in the rooms with the best minds across every agency on Jefferson Ave, um, which in LA is like where all the agencies are, ended up going client side and vendor side. And over the last like five or six years, got in the Facebook Disruptor Group. I was one of the original uh, 100 members. Half the other folks are students of mine at the time. Um, and I was able to build brand brands. I took 310 Nutrition from 15 million to 95. I uh, worked with companies like Fab CBD that just did a full exit. Um, my life, which had a seven-figure monthly profit target, the SaaS business off of Facebook ads. And this year, uh, I'm doing under outfit. We did 200K budget in January, and we did 120-some-odd thousand earlier this week. Uh, that business has scaled 7X since January. Um, there's a reason why every single year, I take one or two brands from mid-sevens, low-eights to high eight, low nines. Um, and it has very little to do with me being good at audience testing or having any skills as a creative. Um, it has a lot to do with the fact that I was there when they built the engineering team for the ad product. I was there when they built the product team for the dashboards. I was there at the, at the introduction of automated rules and lead gen. I ran the alpha for DPA and canvas ads, rest in peace. And like, I literally wrote the book that Facebook used in the disruptor group to identify how to use um, uh, CBO for creative testing, especially on the back of uh, advanced matching. And basically from there, it's in 2018, dynamic ads, CBO, broad targeting, auto bid, auto placement became the thing that I couldn't beat 
as one of the world's best, according to Facebook, uh, day traders on the platform. And I basically changed over uh, to running things a different way. And since then, um, been just trying to teach people what that looks like. And it's usually a good couple of years before everybody starts to adopt it. But we're seeing more and more success and less and less stress for the people that do get there. And it's a beautiful thing. And so now I run those businesses or help them grow. And my biggest venture now is building a school to teach people how to do all this stuff with extreme confidence because the sad part is most media buyers have been poorly trained, overworked, and underpaid by somebody that didn't know how to run their clients' businesses or mm -hmm. understand how Facebook worked. I'd say it's 85, 90% of Facebook buyers. And um, that means there's a huge opportunity to just do a good job and to help a lot more people achieve their dreams and success and freedom by making their businesses succeed. Amazing. That's, that's so, so interesting, like that you've been you've been doing this since you know since the early early days and you know yeah. you've seen the way that the, the platform has changed and one of my main questions is like i mentioned at the start is that everyone is saying facebook is dead all the time and how everyone should be using tiktok instead and how you know blah 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 we've heard it every single time a new platform comes along it's always the same story why do you think people think facebook's dead I think it's three reasons. And I think that's a great question because it's very psychological more than database. I mean, database argument shoots that in the water. Like you're dead in the water if you make that 100%. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's like if you have a database argument that says television doesn't work or print ads don't work or direct mail doesn't work. Like that is just a fallacy. But I think there's three reasons. Number one, using the tool in the wrong way has become less and less effective. Um, Facebook has gotten better and better at prioritizing the end user experience in their data. So when you're using, say, interest groups, which have been deprecated on a Facebook development team five years ago to copy affinity audiences in Google, I remember when they came in. Um, or if you're using retargeting, which was made obsolete by advanced matching and then tremendously harmed by iOS 14, um, not because audiences are smaller and tracking is worse, but because users aren't in multiple places of the funnel. They're just in wherever the last event fired. So if you purchase, you're not also in the add to cart and in the page view and in the view content audience. So it looks like your audiences are a lot smaller, but really it's just they built in the exclusions for you. Um, and so doing things in the 2016 way is incredibly harmful now and is only getting worse. If you're still using ABOs and interest groups and retargeting to a lesser extent, even lookalikes are fairly obsolete. To be fair, most people that learned Facebook that I know learned somewhere between 2018 and 2020. That was where a lot of people learned or the people that they're learning from where they got good. Yeah. In the world of 2018 to 2020, the economy was booming. Any idiot could set up a really dumb Shopify store and screenshot an Alibaba post and print money because when the economy is booming, literally anyone can start a business. And I'm so happy that they did. Like the financial independence and security so many people got during that 10-year booming economy right up until, well, a changeover in some leadership around the world and then some impacts of science, which were inevitable, um, having an impact. But 
we are now facing a situation where the economic structure uh, is different. And because of that, it is far more difficult to have a bad business model with bad ads competing for the attention to monetize on platforms that are getting way, way better at respecting the end user's experience. And because of that, it's just way more difficult to be successful when you disrespect your business partners and don't give a damn about your customers. Platforms have gotten really good at basically squeezing those people out. And I think the third thing is a level of sexiness. Honestly, I see people saying all the time, I can't tell you how many times people say, well, iOS 14 cost Facebook a lot of money and it really ruined the ad account. That's nonsense. Facebook ad spend is up every single year. And they say, well, well, why did, you know, Facebook say that? And here's quotes. What they're quoting is projected additional revenue that didn't come in. And that's primarily more because of an economic structure, but also because the development of the ad platform has basically reached maturity. Facebook ads is the same level as search and email. Now, would you say search and email aren't any good because they haven't had any dramatic, fundamental technological shifts in years? I'd say that's Uh nonsense. They're at the core of every business. Uh I am less concerned with that. And we do see new opportunities come up where different economies of scale are available. And whenever there's underpriced attention, there's always the opportunity to abuse that. I remember when it was Pinterest. I was running Disney and Persil laundry detergent. I did the U.S. launch for that and the product launch for TRX, the like yellow workout bands. I did the product launch, brought that to market mm-hmm. on the back of those ads. I remember when it was Snapchat, right? And it was great. And, you know, the, the Dollar Shave Club dudes, I didn't part of that. They were a great success story. Um, and, and I was doing stuff with them for a lot of different brands. And then it was, you know, now it's TikTok. And to be fair, I remember a year ago and everybody was like, TikTok CPMs are $3. You got to get on it. And now they're worse than Facebook ad CPMs. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think my Facebook ads CPMs at like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a day for e-commerce brands is in the mid to low 20s. The TikTok ads for the same thing might be in the mid to upper 20s or low 30s sometimes. And true, I'm not nearly as good at TikTok as I am at Facebook. But the opportunity that you get by abusing underpriced attention, there's a short lifespan to that opportunity. So I think when people say Facebook ads are dead, it really is one of those three factors. Either A, you can't disrespect your customer and the business partners, in this case, your vendor, and still be successful. B, the economy is just different. You can't just slap a picture on anything and print money anymore. You have to actually do something because people don't have the disposable income they did four years ago. Mm -hmm. And three, I think there is a narrative around easy money and honestly also corporate positioning that people take at face value. Instead of understanding the opportunities that are in front of them. And and, and I'm excited that we get to dive deeper into that. Because I think if you're saying that Facebook ads don't work, I hope that you also say that email and search don't work. Because it's not the sexy new thing. 
And I promise you, if you're avoiding email and search and social, you're not doomed because maybe you're excellent at affiliate and influencer and other things, but you are doing, you are avoiding work and revenue generation in a way that the vast majority of marketers are tremendously successful at. What do you think most brands are doing wrong on Facebook? You kind of touched on it a little bit then, but like, you know, is that middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, top of the funnel system even working anymore? Because like you mentioned, I was taught Facebook ads and I haven't run Facebook ads in a very long time, but I was taught Facebook ads, you know, the traditional campaign structure, which is, you know, covering all those bases, excluding purchasers, you know, having a retargeting campaign, all that usual stuff like that's how I was taught to run Facebook ads. Is that, is that just not a thing anymore? Um, I actually thought about this a lot more after before with the prep to this. And, and I've always said like, no, that's a bad idea, but I want to amend that. It does work. You can get C plus success doing it that way. You can work far harder than you need to to get a far worse result than you deserve by doing things in the wrong way, but it doesn't mean it won't work. Mm-hmm. I see people that are successful in that way consistently. I also think that they're successful because their definition of success is something that sells their opportunity short. If you were doing F work and now you're doing C plus, that's amazing. If you're making it work good for you and I don't want you to feel shamed or that like, well, it's working for me. So this person's crazy. That's good for you. I'm glad it's working, but there is a big difference between trying to not go out of business by working six to eight, 12 hours a day where you're never able to take a break and you have to be right on every guest that you make and tremendously impair your upside. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between that and massively scaling your business. The brands that I take from six to eight figures, seven to nine figures, they are not focused on non-scalable workflows. You cannot scale a business if the owner has to work in the business in order to make it work, or you have to force employees to work so hard that they're ineffective. Henry Ford made the assembly line, right? Now, yeah, sure, there are, you know, British car companies that make the car by hand out of wood all day long and they're going to be beautiful. Lamborghinis are wonderful. They make 200 a year. Right? Mm -hmm. Or you can make 20,000 a day. And if you want to make real money and you're not selling a $200,000 product, economies of scale and business metrics say that you have to find better ways of solving the problem. And what I would tell people is it's called the ads manager for a reason. You're not ever doing the work. You are the manager of the machine. You are the factory foreman. And your job isn't to micromanage every employee to the point where they cannot work without you. Your job is to set them up to be so successful that you never have to do the work. And that's the real difference between people that work really, really hard and pat themselves on the back because they get C-plus work, which, hey, look, if that's above an F and you're successful, awesome. But the difference between that and working 15 minutes a day, 90 minutes a week maybe, and taking your business from struggling at five or six to a 
successful six, seven, eight, nine figure business, you're never going to be able to work 10 times harder. So you have to start using the tools in the way they're designed to be used in order to be successful. So yes, that TOF, MOF, BOF stuff works, but you can also build a house using just a, like a wrench and duct tape. Doesn't mean I want to live there. <laughs> and I just <laughs> yeah. want to make that clarification because I don't want to alienate folks that learned that way. Cause it doesn't mean you're dead, but just, I think people have been taught to value the wrong angles of work when it comes mm -hmm. to this, because you should be spending your time on business model. You should be spending your time knowing the value and volume and cost of parts of the funnel and customer journey. You should be focusing on incremental lift and LTV far more than what ad works so well I can spend my entire budget on it so that three weeks from now I have to start all over. There's a very different yeah. mindset there. And that's the difference between an eight and nine figure business and somebody struggling out of the garage to get to a six figure one. Yeah. And then the next thing that we always hear is the best way to target now and the best way to run ads is just to let the platform do its thing, right? That these platforms are advanced enough that really all we need to do is input some creative, you know, a landing page, all that stuff. And then just monitor the things that, you know, and just change the things that we can control, like your landing page, like your creative. These are things that we can actively change and make a difference on and then just let the platform do the work. Is that the best way to advertise on Facebook? Absolutely. And I'll say this. There is this misconception that audiences are good. Audiences became obsolete in 2018, 2019. And that's because the tech changed. The software had an update and it hasn't changed since. People say Facebook ads are changing all the time. No, they're not. They haven't changed since basically 2019, 2018. The front end has changed a bit, but the actual algorithm hasn't changed in five years. And here's the change is the implementation of the OCPM, the optimized CPM environment being the primary driver. Facebook was no longer competing with PPC. It was designed as a, let's run it and build it a lot like Google so people use it. Yeah. But that shift basically meant when Facebook is treated like a pay-per-click or an inventory or demand-based, right? Like email, pay-per-click, et cetera, programmatic. Yes, you need audiences because you're saturating that audience and hoping for the best. But now what we have is every ad you make is a web page in Facebook's site. Right in their app, yeah. uh, Facebook app or the or the Facebook website or Instagram is just a is just search results like on Google. But instead of you typing in words, you just refresh and it shows you things that you want to see. So it's it's the Google search result, but it's a dynamic one that is based on user experience instead of you having you telling it what you want. That being said. Every ad you make is its own web page. Facebook is measuring the click-through rate, the bounce rate, the stickiness, the engagement, what happens when people see that content, what happens when they click on it, what happens when they go to your site, what happens a couple clicks after that? Are people happy with that experience? Do they engage? Do they lean in? And if they do engage with your brand, what is their experience? Like, are the page load times bad? Are they offering going to customer service? Are they giving bad comments? What is that user experience? Because their business model is, User experience. Facebook's business model is retention, 
of attention for profit. That's, that's what they do. And because of that, because the learnings in Facebook are how do users respond to each web page? Not, not your landing page, but the actual ad unit. Each one of those ad units makes its own lookalike audience. If Facebook shows that ad to 500 people, 250 people don't like it, 250 people love it. Do you think the next 500 is completely random distribution? No. They're going to look more like the people that responded positively yeah. to it. What about the next thousand, the next 10,000, the next million people? They're going to look more and more like those that had a positive experience because that's Facebook's business model. And so yeah. that ad is effectively creating its own audience of people that respond positively to it and finding more people that behave like that. So when we use targeting audiences, what we're doing is we're paying extra because they come at a cost. Back in the day, Facebook literally used to tell you how much they all cost. Back when CPMs were $2, that interest group was like 30 cents and was like, whoa, do I want to add 10%? <laughs> it's still yeah. a pretty costly thing. But now what you're doing is you're paying extra to inhibit who that ad can show to because maybe there's a big circle for that interest group or that lookalike or that retargeting audience. And that ad appeals to everybody over here. Think of two circles and a Venn diagram. The only place yeah. that ad's going to be able to work is where those two circles overlap. And you might get really good success right away, but that's not a sustainable solution. That's not a scalable workflow. Yeah. So you can run a business that requires you to work really, really hard and get lucky and have to be right all the time and then start over in a couple of months or a couple of weeks or a couple of days. Or you can avoid that situation entirely and just plan on an architecture that grows with you. And that's yeah. the real big difference. And I want to also say this, that Interest groups, one third of the people are in there by accident because the tech hasn't been updated. Half the people that are in there are there because they don't like something. If you say all day long, I don't like cats, you're going to get ads for cat food because you're interested in it because you're using those keywords. So up to two thirds of that audience is actually bad for you. So what happens when you're targeting those people is you are investing heavily and in showing Facebook that you want to give people a bad user experience. And that not only harms your performance in that ad set, but it flags you as a marketer that is a liability to Facebook's bottom line. And if you've ever worked with people and some folks make work harder or cost money or are just bad to work with, you generally work with them less. And Facebook's way yeah. of doing that is by charging you more money on the CPM. And they effectively price you out of the market because you're a liability to their business model. So if your CPMs are over $25, $30, understand it's because Facebook sees you as a liability. And if you become algorithmically aligned, that CPM can get cut in half. And it's not just who your ad gets shown to as a volume. It's also a quality. And this is the last thing I'll say on it is when you hit refresh, you're not just seeing the person that bid for that. Facebook also wants to show you high quality content. So if you and I are both running ads for sneakers and you've got an ad everybody wants to see and you're running a really good business and then I'm using a cost cap and an interest group with an ad that's not that great with a super high budget. 
Somebody might come to my store in abandoned cart. When they refresh, they're going to see your ad retarget them because of advanced matching, even though you're using broad. You're going to reach that person for half the cost that I will. They're not going to see my ad until they're scrolling through for five or 10 minutes because Facebook wants to give that user a positive experience. So mm-hmm. I'm effectively working really hard to make you successful because you care about Facebook and the end user way more than I do. And I think that that's yeah. just something most people don't get. I think we're also used to, you know, I guess kind of thinking that these platforms are working against us all the time and they're there and sure. they're out to get us. But I think what we do forget is that we're paying for, for their bills, right? And so they want to make sure that we have the best experience possible. And so, they're yeah. gonna, you know, they're going to put things in place in order to, to make that happen. And yeah, we need to stop thinking that they're out to get us all the time because, I mean, I don't think they are, but I think... A lot of people think that way because they work overly hard to try and make something work and then it doesn't work. So we mentioned there that creative is one of the things that we control. How important is creative in that, you know, in that scheme of kind of letting the platform do its thing? How important is creative? How much creative should people be testing? It's a great question. I did a study a few years ago with Facebook where we tracked eyeballs through the Facebook it was an obnoxious test, but this is like the kind of things that I do sometimes with, with, with Facebook. We track people's eyeballs while using the platform. 75 to 80% of where the eyeball goes initially is on the creative, the image or the video. So that's 80, 75 to 80% of the thumb stop. The technical term is thumb stopping. The average person, by the way, swipes the height of the Eiffel Tower on a daily basis on a phone smaller than their face. So that tells you how much thumb stopping you have to do in order to get their attention. 10 to 15% is done by the headline after they see that image. And then they go to the copy. Now, it's not to say that the headline and the copy aren't important. They validate and inform and give more context to that creative. But the world's best copywriter, if they have to put their words up against bad images that nobody cares about, they're, they're going to struggle mightily. And it's an unfair situation because some copywriters are amazing and a bad copywriter with good creative will probably beat them. And that's not fair, but that's just the lay of the land because of how attention works on a visual media in a visual yeah. medium. Facebook is scanning every frame of every video and every image and it understands like Facebook knows this is like an Ikea lamp. It knows that that is a Pittsburgh Steelers terrible towel. Like it knows what like Amazon store is selling this. I work hard. So my dog's going to have a good life like sign, right? They know they've scanned that image. So when they're doing targeting based on that ads interactions, your very first impression of your very first ad is a retargeting ad based on the content in the creative and the keywords that you're using. So there's a lot of context clues. Um, And for instance, like if you've got a bunch of kids riding a bike and you're trying to sell shirts and they're, having, and they're drinking a Coca-Cola, Facebook's going to know, well, they're drinking a Coca-Cola, they got a huffy bike, they're in like Southern California, and oh, by the way, here's this shirt. They're using all of those context clues <laughs> yeah. to make sure that somebody that wants to see that sees that ad. It's not just we have a shirt. Usually the product that you're pushing forward has very little to do with the targeting If there's anything else going on, which is one reason why we see unboxing videos be so successful, 
or why we see UGC where it's just the product feature be so successful. Because there is a higher match rate to the content to the user versus very elaborate videos that feature all sorts of different things that might not work. Yes, there might be less interesting, but also because there's such a greater disparity in how that data lines up with success. Because honestly, selling a fun t-shirt has nothing to do with the soda somebody's drinking. But yeah. because that's a context clue, it's being used in the targeting parameters. Um, so yeah, like there's, there's a lot to it. But the creative is, creative is king. I mean, that, that really is what stops the thumb and makes people interested. And you have to combat for attention before you get anything. At the end of the day, you could have four carnivals on the side of the road. You're going to go walk into the one where that barker is, is making you interested. The signs on the side, are, like it might be a far worse carnival experience. It might be the worst freak show on the planet. But that person got you in the door. And that's Facebook's job. The rest yeah. of it is business model, website, product quality, customer service. But we're the carnival barker. We're just the, we are the sign spinner on the street. And yeah. doing that well is, is going to be a thumb on the scale for your business versus not. As we, as we head into Q4 now, arguably the most important season for a lot of brands, what should, what should those brands be doing on Facebook with their creative, with their targeting, whatever, in order to optimize it? and have the best Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas period, holiday period that they can possibly have? Because I'm sure that question is on the minds of so many people right now. Oh, absolutely. And I will say this, I've probably made $100 million in AdSend mistakes around Black Friday. So yeah. I, I've got, I've got a, a few opinions on this uh, from, from life experience. I will say the most common thing people are going to do is they're going to make a 15, 20, $30 discount, 30% discount on everything. And they're going to make creatives that say big discounts. And they're going to blast out retargeting. They're going to hit their email addresses. They're going to hit their ad to carts. They're going to hit all sorts of, info, all sorts of uh, audiences they've developed. And that's great. That's going to give you a wonderful ROAS on Facebook. That has nothing to do with business success. ROAS has nothing to do with cash flow. It's an out of context data point. And honestly, it doesn't mean anything for incrementality either. Because ultimately, three things. First, when you are doing that, when you're just smashing your retargeting audiences, your retention, all of that. First, maybe you're giving a little bit of lift, but you are focusing on giving a discount to customers that might already buy. They might already buy from you anyway, and they're mm. also being targeted by five other channels. So you might have email and search and TikTok and Facebook all saying they drove you $50,000 in sales today, but your finance department says you sold 85 grand. Reporting says 200. Now you're like, well, I can't trust any of the platforms. Like, no, no, no. They're all being <laughs> honest with you based around the parameters that you set, but you have ego-based marketing running your strategy of ROAS. And that's tremendously harmful. Second thing is, when you do that, generally speaking, you're turning off your evergreen campaign. I mean, I, I run entire ad accounts out of one campaign where I'm doing testing and scaling inside of one campaign and that's it. And like, this is, by the way, my account structure for this. Like this, this account structure will make you millions. 
One winner's ad set with post IDs, two dynamic creatives. Let that be your business objective in targeting testing. That right there, I, I, I've made hundreds of millions in revenue from clients with that account structure, and there's literally nothing else, all targeting broad. But if you have to turn that off to run sales, now you're impeding the data that's coming into the system. So when you turn it back on, it's going to be a little bit worse. Mm. And the third thing, running discounts is one of the worst things you can do as a business. And there's two reasons for that. First is LTV. So many people are focused on lower CPA and higher ROAS. That's great on day one. But we shouldn't be focusing on that. We should be focusing on profitable scaling margins. Mm -hmm. How much revenue am I going to generate off of this customer journey? And how much does it cost for me to acquire that customer journey? And what's my operational cost to, you know, fulfill that customer journey? So if I'm discounting, my LTV is immediately harmed. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be lower because I already lost. Instead of a $50 item, I'm selling it for $35. So my LTV is immediately $15 less off the start. Also, for decades, consumer psychology tests have been run, and people that buy due to pricing, price-sensitive, discount buyers are far, far less brand loyal. Yeah. They are loyal to the retailer. They'll shop at Walmart all the time, but they don't give a damn who makes the product. Yeah. And what that means is you are sacrificing long-term lifetime value to fill your buyer pool with people who are far less likely to ever buy a second time. So you're making mm -hmm. less money on the first transaction to acquire audiences that are far less valuable long-term. And you're doing so in a way where you're also focusing your marketing efforts to get people who would pay full price to pay you less. So your new customers are far less likely to ever buy again, and they're giving you less money up front. And your existing customers, their LTV is harmed because they're waiting for the next sale. If you did a Labor Day and a Black Friday and a New Year's and a whatever, those people that would have paid full price, you might now be getting 20, 30, 40% less on the LTV of that customer. And when you're running Facebook ads to convert them versus email and other things, you're also paying money to get that sale that's less valuable. So you're paying a worse exchange rate to receive less LTV on customers who are less likely to ever buy from you a second time. Their second purchase rate is far lower. That is tremendously yeah. bad for business. And we do it because retail does it. Retail had to do it because Black Friday is called Black Friday because they ran in the red all year long. Black Friday is when they finally became profitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how retail works. That's why it's called Black Friday. You don't have to do that in e-commerce. Because as retailers, we're not holding square footage, monetizing profit margin by, by, by the square foot and shelf space. We are the brand. So... We also don't have to worry about, about the fulfillment issues and, and making sure that if we don't sell the product, they're going to return it to us and all of these other things with retail. We just have to fulfill the orders that we have. And yes, we're going to have inventory issues. And yes, we might have warehouse costs and stuff, but it's a drop in the bucket to playing the retail game. And so you don't, you're not forced to do the same unit economics that they are. And if you're trying to compete with big box store brands, 
playing the game the way that they do and their pockets are 10,000 times deeper than yours, you're going to lose that game. Hmm. So instead, focus on the acquisition of profitable customer journeys. And instead of discounting your products, focus on bundles, focus on upsells. One of the things that I brought to the table a few years ago, my my boss at the time was this woman, Marina. She's the one that invented the, but wait, there's more tagline for infomercials, which is like, nobody cares. But if you're a marketing nerd, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, We've realized nobody was doing that online. So the bright idea at the time was, you don't want a full price product. You don't want to buy this pen for $5. What if I sell you four of them and give you one for free? Hmm. So now... You might buy one for five bucks, but if I offer you five for 20 with free shipping and free returns, I'm getting four times the, L- the, the AOV and maybe the average person buys two and a half pens, so they're worth 1250. If I get $20 from you on transaction one, my LTV immediately went up. Yeah. And because you bought more products from me and you paid extra for it, your emotional investment in that brand is higher, you're actually more likely to have a second purchase. So when you upsell and do bundles and cross-selling during these periods, you're more likely to improve your LTV, acquiring customers who are more likely to have a second purchase rate. So when you go to investors to get funding for your business and bankers and credit operators and VCs, when you have spent your time acquiring customers that have a higher LTV, and a higher return rate for more purchases, you're immediately more attractive and you can project cash flow and you can project inventory mm-hmm. way easier than saying, we're going to try to have a really good cash day. Our Shopify is going to hit 20,000, 50, 100, whatever it is at the expense of future success. Mm-hmm. Discounts are like a drug. You're a junkie when you get caught on the sale after sale after sale life cycle that so many brands are stuck on. And they're never going to achieve the success of brands that don't discount, but only offer bigger bundles. And the fun thing is when you offer a buy two, get one free, you actually sell more of the full price offer because the buy two, get one free now makes, I'm not sure if I want that yet. I'm going to just try to pay full price. And if I like it, then I'll take the huge discount. Now you're selling three products or more. And that is, a, that is a big, big shift in the mental thinking. Use Labor Day, Black Friday, et cetera, as a customer acquisition tool. Use it to conquest retail brands, especially in economic hardship. These brands are bringing the people into the castle because they just need to make sure that their investors and stockholders are, are seeing something. That means the countryside is open for the pillaging. You don't have to be better than your competitor. You just have to be better than the big box brand that doesn't care about their customer. And you can steal their customers forever because you care about them. This is the biggest opportunity for customer acquisition growth. And if you use it as such, your Q1 is going to be bigger than your Q3. If you don't, January and February are going to be the decimation of your cash flow. And you're probably going to have to fire a couple of people. You're going to have inventory problems. 
And you're gonna be really struggling to hopefully make enough money in the spring to pay for summer. And you're probably gonna double down on the same thing that ruined your Q1 just to try to compete. And then summer's gonna come and you're gonna say, well, Facebook doesn't work at all and we're screwed and all of that other stuff. And it's your choices that created that problem. Yeah. So that, that's kind of how I go with it. That's, that's the uh, in-depth view of, of uh, never run a discount, instead actually build your business. So many times in, in D2C, in e-commerce, just reframing the way that we think about things and not seeing it as the way that everyone else is seeing it sometimes leads to the most success. Because everyone thinks Black Friday, Cyber Monday is like, all right, here we go, get the sales going. But it doesn't, doesn't always need to be the case. Because yes, people expect something, but you don't want to cheapen your cheapen your brand and cheapen your customer just to abide by what everyone else is saying. Charles, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the D2C Deep Dive. It's been so interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening which have kind of had their eyes open and hopefully they'll go and try some of the things that you suggested. If people want to follow along your journey, they want to be part of the school that you're building, how can people find out more? Yeah, you can follow me. My socials are at CT the Disruptor. You can find me literally anywhere. And if you uh, if you have a platform where you can't find me, please DM me, and I'll start to making sure that I've got multiple pieces of content going out daily there as well. Um, if you want to check out, know more about this stuff, um, my site's FacebookDisruptor.com or DisruptorSchool.com. I have a newsletter. That's probably the best way for you to just limp in for free. Mm-hmm. Newsletter.FacebookDisruptor.com is super easy. One click sign up. Um, that's a great way to make sure that you're getting this type of information on a regular basis. If, you know, we're talking about LTV and, and, and sales and business development. If you do want to work on your business development and the LTV of your skill set, then the Facebook Ads MBA program is probably going to be the best fit for you. And you can check that out at MBA.FacebookDisruptor.com. That is my immersive lifetime access education resource. It is a direct community from me sharing what I'm doing right now. And the track record more or less shows that if you want to know what everybody's going to be buzzing about on YouTube and Twitter in two years, you can learn it today. And the honest truth is people ask, why are you teaching? Why are you not running brands? I do run brands. Um, I, I got a brand right now that we had 200,000 in January. We did 1.5 million last year. It's the like fifth or sixth brand in the last four or five years that I've done that with. I am active, but I also see a huge gap in the space where a lot of agencies who aren't good enough for you to hire are charging you money to learn from their 25-year-old kids that are seeing the same thing on Twitter that you are. (laughs) And that same person that you would be on a sales call with that you'll never, ever see again is the spokesperson for. Uh Do you legitimately think that people that see the same information that you do that have the same struggles that aren't running any businesses are going to help you achieve the success that you deserve? The answer to that is is probably no. Um, You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And you can either learn from operators and join communities of people actually getting the work done. Or you can focus on folks that run ad agencies that rely on their sales team to be successful and are also having educational resources to offset cash flow because they're struggling. Some places are good to get you started. Mm-hmm. Some places are good to help you make a seven, eight figure, nine figure business. 
Those are not the same places. So if you want to level up your business, you have to level up who you're talking to. That's what I'm trying to do. And with that, I just want to say thank you a lot. I appreciate it. Got up at seven o'clock this morning to talk with you and I do not regret it. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad. I really appreciate your pod. I appreciate the, what you're doing here. I understand what it is that you get, you got going on and, and I dig it. And I'm just glad that we were able to get together on it because, hey man, helping people be successful and sharing different ideas is great. And at yeah. the end of the day, you don't have to agree with what I said. You don't have to abide by it. You don't have to take action on it. But the fact that you're letting people with different ideas come in and share lets other folks Learn how people are thinking and make the best decision for themselves. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And if that produces success or just at least educates or even entertains, um, that's a good use of time. And I will do that seven days a week. My wife probably says I shouldn't do that, but I do. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for letting me do it. I, 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 uh, I very much appreciate the opportunity And if one person today sees more success and then can hire one other person and that person can learn and have some freedom and stability in their life, then this was 100% worth getting out of bed. And like I said, I'll do that every day because I used to be at a place in my life where I was completely lost. But I I got 10 years sober now and I bought a house and a wedding and all sorts of stuff. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to struggle. And if what you and I are doing prevents one person from having to do that again, I'll do it every day. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Real pleasure and excited. Excited to chat some more. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And that's it for another episode of the D2C Deep Dive. It's been a real pleasure to have you. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a review because that would be much appreciated because then more people find out about us. And that's always fun, isn't it? You can follow us on social. You can follow myself at Sal Fraser or you can follow the podcast, the D2C Deep Dive. And, well, I'll see you in the next one.